You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today, we have a guest speaker. As uh, Rob said, my name is Ricky, and I am so excited to be here with you. I love your church. Um, Our church and your church have been connected in gospel partnership for many years. Uh, When this church began a number of years ago, one of our core families got sent out to help plant and establish this church. And along the way, a number of folks from El Paso have found their way in the DFW area and are part of this church. And so I have a special love for you guys and your church um, because of our partnership over the years. Let me just tell you two things that I absolutely love about you that I never want to change. Uh, First, your church cares about the gospel of grace as the only thing that can truly change and transform people's lives. And you have to care about it because your pastor has wisely put it in your name. So you have to be Grace Church and care about the gospel of grace. But I see that in all of the things you do, from ministry to ministry, you're taking the gospel of grace and applying it to marriage, to parenting, to vocation, to these things. And I love that. The second thing I love about you that I never want to see change is that you guys care about your city. You guys have taken ownership, in a sense, of Frisco, of this area, and you are integrated into the fabric of this place, and I love seeing that, and I am your biggest fan in the city of El Paso. It's like when a, an NFL team travels and there's that one guy in the stands from the, from the opposing team yelling, that's me in El Paso. I love you guys. So let's open up God's Word today. We're going to be in Psalm 139. I believe that's page 300 in the Pew Bible, if you've got one of those. Today we're talking about the cure for practical atheism. Now what does that mean? Well, 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary on Psalm 139, says this. The psalm warns us against all that practical atheism, which ignores the presence of God and so makes shipwreck of the soul. Now, Atheism, as you know, is just a lack of belief in God or a higher power. But Spurgeon is pointing something, pointing out something else. He says it's possible to, on a head level, believe in God, but on a life level, live as though God were not real. Now, you may think, okay, what does that look like? Well, a few years ago, I discovered this in myself. Uh, over the last few years, I've had a, a, a kind of almost comedic like revolving door of life health issues that have happened. Um, One example is last summer I was in a car wreck. People get in car wrecks all the time. But I got in a car wreck and got a concussion. And as a result, for several weeks, couldn't use the computer more than like an hour a day. And then had to work from that, which, as you can imagine, makes jobs very difficult. So I'm having people read me things and stuff like that. It's just crazy. And then that, that went on. The recovery took six to nine months. And a number of other things in the mix there. It meant a lot of doctor's visits. It meant diet changes. It meant dealing with discouragement. It meant anxiety about the future. And at one point, I found myself um, at, at first be, you know, praying a lot, like, Lord, where are you? Lord, what, why does it seem like you're near to me? Lord, why, it doesn't really feel like you have a plan in this. And then as time went on, I began to almost pray about these things less. Less and less. And, and what I realized was happening was what Spurgeon is describing. I began to, on a practical level, live like an atheist in the sense that the details of my life were disconnected from the reality of, the, of who God is. 
So today, maybe you feel the same. Maybe you don't have a concussion from a car accident in El Paso, Texas, but maybe you have a health issue. Maybe you have a life issue. Maybe you uh, have found yourself praying less and less. Maybe you feel find yourself feeling unloved or uh, angry or depressed or abandoned. That is why Psalm 139 is good news for us today, church. This is a psalm in which David takes these big truths about God and applies them right down into the details of life. So, The structure for the passage today is simple. There's three big theological truths that get applied to the details of life, and then there's two responses at the end that that kind of are, are mandated by these big truths. So the first truth begins in verse one. Please read this with me. This is God's word. O Lord, you have searched me and known me, You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. This is God's word. And Father, we just pray that you would be with us as we explore your word together. Lord, I especially pray for anyone that's struggling today, finds themselves feeling disconnected from you, perhaps even in worship today as we're singing about you, you feel, if their experiences, you feel distant. Lord, I pray that you would be very near to us right now in Jesus' name. Well, this, this big first truth that comes out of this section is that God knows us. There's a fancy theological word for that called omniscience, God's omniscience, the, the, the category that God knows absolutely everything about everything in the universe that has been and is and ever will be. But notice this isn't just a, you know, interesting theological, God knows everything. David applies it to himself. Lord, you have known me. You have searched and known me. And this is not a cursory knowledge, a shallow knowledge. This isn't the knowledge of that coworker that you always bump into the lunchroom and you can tell they don't remember your name. And so they're calling you things like champ. Hey, uh, champ, uh, bud, buckaroo. You know, it's sometimes we think, okay, this guy doesn't know my name. David is saying, no, no, no. The Lord doesn't just know my name. He knows every single thing about me. Look at the things that David lists. God knows his activities, even what, down to what time he wakes up, what time he sleeps, what path he takes to work. He knows everything about his daily routine. Even the little parts of life that your friends don't even know about. The quirks you have, what station you set the radio on as you're getting in the car. God knows not only that, but knows his words. He actually, this is very poetically, taking that moment where a thought forms in your mind before it's even out of your mind, um, and for some of us, that's a longer delay than others. And so some, some parents are thinking, like, I don't think my kid even has a delay. They just immediately comes. It's this, this moment right between when the thought forms and when it's from your mouth. The Lord knows it before it's even spoken. The Lord knows every single word you've ever spoken. Every word to a loved one, every word said out of spite, every word muttered to yourself in private frustration. God knows, David says, not only those things, but he knows his innermost thoughts, his inner monologue. Uh, And it's not as though it's hard for the Lord to discern these things. Look at the, the text there. It says that you discern my thoughts from afar. 
So it's not as though the Lord is squinting into the distance to get this knowledge of, of you and of David. It, the Lord, it, it, for the Lord, it's as obvious as a mountain right in front of you. My city's built around a mountain. And so at every moment, as you're driving from one place to another, there's the mountain. That's how obvious our thoughts are to the Lord. Now, why does this matter for us, though? Well, one of the most deadly lies we can start believing practically is that the Lord doesn't know what's happening to us or doesn't care about what's happening to us. It can be very subtle. Doubts can begin to grow in your mind. Does the Lord really know? Does the Lord really get me? We could start thinking things like, no one really understands my life. No one understands how difficult this is. But that's why this truth is so beautiful. The Lord knows. I found myself, as I was going through these, these health issues, uh, feeling like nobody understands me. The doctor doesn't understand me. My spouse doesn't understand me. Like, you guys don't know what it's like with these private struggles and details. And this psalm is good news for people like that in that place because it reminds us the Lord does know. There is somebody who truly understands our pain, our anxiety, our discouragement, stuff that maybe we even hide from other people and nobody else sees And what's beautiful is that the Lord takes this knowledge and then does something for us. Look at verse 5. It says, You hem me in behind and before (coughs) and lay your hand upon me. In other words, the Lord takes the knowledge of who we are the knowledge of our circumstances, and then applies that to his care for us, to care for us in exactly the ways we need to be cared for. Uh, We have two kids right now. As Rob mentioned, we have one more on the way at the end of this month. And when your kids are walking... uh, parents kind of fall into two camps on this. I don't want to offend anybody. There are some parents that are like, yeah, let them fall. Face plants are helpful. They, are, they should knock themselves out. That's how they learn to walk. I'm not that kind of dad. I'm a, more of an anxious dad. And so when my kids are learning to walk, I remember, you know, trying to stand behind them so they didn't see me, but kind of, you know, you do the, the like, oh, oh, and he starts to wobble. And so you, your hand's over here and you whoop, and you're trying to get him to, to, to be protected. And as a dad, there's this weird moment where I can probably tell before he can tell when he's about to trip, right? I can probably tell what, that he's about to be in trouble before he's in trouble. I could tell if you put your foot right here, whoa, he doesn't know that yet, but I do. So I put my hand exactly where it needs to be to support him. Brothers and sisters, that's what the Lord does for us. He takes the knowledge that he knows, all that he knows about it, he takes his knowledge of us and he applies it to his care of us. He supports us and and helps us in exactly the ways that we need to be supported and helped. Now, perhaps for some of you, you're thinking, well, what what if somehow... I pray something, and it seems like the Lord isn't there. He isn't supporting me, and I asked him to. Well, remember this. The Lord knows us better than we even know ourselves. He knows everything about the world that we do not know. And to paraphrase Tim Keller, if we knew everything that God knows about us and about the world, we would an- and we were good like God is, we would answer our prayers the same way God answers them. 
In other words, God's knowledge of us and our situation and the world surpasses our own. And there are times you think, Lord, he's not supporting me, but perhaps the Lord is actually supporting us better than we know that we need to be supported. I know that the Lord knows me better than I know myself. And David says, in light of that, verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. He's saying, look, we're in the deep end of the theological pool here, and, and my response to this is dizzying praise and worship to the Lord. In light of the fact that the Lord knows me every, in every part of my life better than I even know myself, my response is praise. And that he applies that knowledge to support me better than I know how to be supported, the response is praise. Friend, do you believe that the Lord knows the details of your life this morning? Do you believe he really knows? That he knows the private worries in your head and the turmoil in that particular relationship in your life? And if you know that, then the response is that you can go to him because he's the one that truly understands you. And the beautiful thing for us as Christians is that in Christ, we are both fully known and fully loved. What we see is that Jesus, as he's ministering to people, he already knows the worst sins of all the people in front of him. And yet he does not move away from them, but moves toward them in love. And not just move toward them in love, he he goes so far as to lay his life down for them. Friend, rest in this knowledge this morning. The Lord knows the worst parts of yourself, and he loves you in Christ. That's this passage kind of passed through the grid of Jesus in the New Testament and applied to us. The Lord knows us. The Lord loves us all the same, nevertheless. Okay, section two. Section two begins in verse seven. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell on the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. The second section is about the the truth that God is with us. Right? This is the theological term for this is God's omnipresence. The truth that God is present everywhere in every corner of the universe. But not just He's present everywhere, He's present then with us us in a particular way. Now, this picture that David draws through poetry is striking. The the point of the picture is that there's nowhere you can go in life without, and that the Lord will not be there. His first example is if you go all the way up as high as you can possibly go, the Lord is there. If you go up to what the ancient people thought of as the heavens, where like heavenly beings would dwell, if you went as far as you could go up there, he would still be there. Or the grave, shield, the underworld, if you could go down as far as possible, he would still be there. And then this, I love this line. David's a great poet. I can't wait to meet him someday. He says, if I take the wings of the morning, meaning what, what, what rises in the morning? Where's the sun in the morning? It's in the east. Or if I go to the uttermost parts of the sea, well, for Israel, that would be in the west. 
He's saying, if I could go east as far as I could possibly go, if I could go west as far as I could possibly go, if I could go up, if I could go down, if I could go left or right, backwards, forwards, anywhere I could go, the Lord is with me. And then he said, but wait, 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 wait. What if in some of those places it's dark? What if in some of those places we can't even see where we are? That's no problem for the Lord. Even the darkest places of our life are as light to the Lord. He easily sees the circumstances that we feel like when in life sometimes we feel like we can't see the hand in front of our face. We don't know which way is up or down. The Lord knows and the Lord is with us. The point is this, that there is no place anywhere at any time where the Lord will not be with us. Even there, David says, your hand shall lead me. See, the Lord then, we apply this truth of the Lord to the details of life, that if he knows everything, if he is everywhere, he can lead us no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. Um, I had a friend, it, actually in the first service, who goes to your church, that there was years ago, we were on a hike with, with some folks from our church, because we're, again, like living right around this giant mountain. So we decided, okay, well, we're going to go on this advanced trail through the mountain. And I didn't know we were going. I couldn't tell where the markers were. These guys that were leading us were like half running the trail. It's like a half trail run. And, I, I have, and I'm thinking at a certain point, okay, I don't know how we got here because I'm looking behind me. I don't know where we came from and I'm looking ahead. I don't know where we're going. All I know is there is a guy running in front of me. If I lose him, I will die on the mountain or be at like the 10 o'clock news another stupid hiker rescued from the franklin mountains today like that would have been me so what i knew is okay that guy i can see him i don't know where i am or what's going on but i can see him if i can if i if i can let him lead me i I can get out of here in every circumstance of life david says no matter how dark it is no matter how far it is the lord can lead us the lord is there to lead us and I love this line, your right hand shall hold me. Right hand meaning the strong hand of the Lord will hold us. Look, sometimes we feel like we can't, we can't even follow. We can't do anything. All we can do is curl up in a ball and, and cry on the floor. Or we can't even get off the couch. Even there in those moments, the Lord supports and helps us. You know, recently in my church, we... we, we we had a dear member of the church pass away. His, his name was Mr. Wheeler, Mr. Bill Wheeler. And he and his wife have been faithful members of our church for over 25 years. And they've been driving probably 45 plus minutes for 25 years to our church. On Sundays and then for community group. And as Mr. Wheeler, over the last few years, began to decline, he began to suffer from dementia. He began to suffer from physical issues. He began to have falls. Maybe some of you guys can relate to to parents or grandparents that that are in that stage. And every time something would happen, he recovered a little less quickly and needed a little more care. And yet the amazing thing was that his wife, Mrs. Wheeler, seemed to grow more joyful the more he declined. And and, And I just, I mean... I didn't understand that. So I remember talking to Mrs. Wheeler at one point about, you know, how are you doing? Are you really doing okay? Do you, you know, and, and they're further out from the rest of the church, and so there's not people around them all the time. And I remember her saying this to me in the way only a, a lady who's, who's followed the Lord for decades can say uh, to a young man. She's, she's just smiling and said, we are okay. 
the Lord is always with us. And a couple weeks ago, we um, drove up because she had called to let us know that her husband had passed away. And I thought, perhaps now, perhaps now it's finally going to break. Perhaps now it's going to be hard. And she opened the door, and there were tears in her eyes, but she smiled and said, now he is with the Lord. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is always with us. And in Christ, we will always be with him. Even death itself, the, the kind of the furthest place we can imagine in our world, even there, for those of us in Christ, the Lord is with us and we are with him. That Jesus promised, that you take the, the, this part of the passage and apply it through the lens of Jesus, Jesus promised, church, that he would never leave us or forsake us. That is a promise from the risen, resurrected king of the universe for us. And not only, and, and we, we, not only do we hear that coming from, okay, Jesus is a good man. No, Jesus laid his life down for us. And if he would do that for us, how can we not trust him to fulfill his promise to always be with us? God is with us. Okay, third truth. Third truth begins in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Not only is the Lord, does the Lord know everything about us, not only is the Lord always with us, the Lord created us and has a design and purpose for us. We've talked about God's omniscience and his omnipresence. This attribute of God is called God's omnificence, his ability to create at will from nothing. And again, David applies it not just, okay, he created all creation. He applies it to himself. You made me. He says that his creation was not a random act, that his creation was part of the very design and plan of God himself, that God, in a sense, hand-drew him is, is kind of the picture here. When I was on sabbatical a couple of years ago, my wife and I went to uh, the Walt Disney Family Museum, which is like the best day ever for me because I love museums and I love Disney stuff. And so we're, we're there. And my favorite exhibit was this exhibit where they showed a bunch of the original work for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And nobody before Snow White thought that that could be a full length, you could do animation for a full length movie, partially because it was so work intensive. Back in that day, they didn't have a computer where they could click, 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 and it would like animate the guy. They hand drew each frame of the film. So when you're seeing the film, you know, those old movies go tick, 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 like it's flipping through these, these slides or films, right? Each one of those was drawn and then inked by hand and just dozens hundreds thousands of these things produced and I remember walking into this room and realizing the the movie is all around us and every frame of this film somebody had to carefully intricately design 
Brothers and sisters, that is what David is saying, that the omnificence of God means for our lives, that you and I were made, were designed with purpose, with intention. There was, after I was at the Walt Disney Family Museum, there was this moment where I was on on the beach, kind of praying and journaling. And I love that you guys have given your lead pastor, Craig, a sabbatical. It has been hugely helpful for me. Um, And mine was two years ago, and I'm still getting benefit from it. So I, I commend you for doing that. And part of the benefit of sabbatical is you have time to process through things and to hear from the Lord in certain areas. And so I took some time, I was on the beach, and I was praying and journaling. And the thing that I was journaling about was my frustration with the way that I am made. There are certain things about the way I'm made that I don't like. Uh, my dad has a, like an awesome like Mexican novella hair that's just like he's in his 60s his hair still looks like suave and I got I got the wrong hair from the other side of the family where my other grandfather had very thin like brittle hair and so when I have a picture next to me and my dad it's just like oh pathetic you know and 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 you know I, I'm not a super tall person um I appreciate them letting me use a little pulpit not Craig's like pulpit like this and and uh, I'm just kidding it's the same pulpit and the there, there was this moment uh, a couple years ago where we had these th- this friend of ours and his wife that would come watch our boys sometimes, and he was a big, tall, like law enforcement guy. His name's Chris, and so as I'm putting the boys to bed, uh, my son looks up at me, and he, you know, how kids just start talking suddenly at bedtime. Suddenly they want to talk, and and he looks up at me and he goes, "Dad, to you I am like a child because I am much shorter than you," and I was like, "Well, yes, I, I mean, I guess that's true." And you are like a child to Mr. Chris because you are much shorter than him. And, and I mean, what do you say, like, to your, your son? Like, Stop saying these things, you know. Or, or I can't say, no, I'm, that's true. I am like a child to Mr. Chris. He could carry me around. And so I'm, it, it's not just that. You know, like, I'm on the beach. I'm thinking about these things. I'm thinking about my appearance. I'm thinking about the way I'm wired. I'm thinking about the things I'm good at and the things that I wish I could be good at, but that I'm not good at and that I would like to be good at. And it's like, why am I good at these things? And why am I wired this way? And, and I'm praying and seeking the Lord. And I'm looking out over the ocean. And I just had this, like, this impression from the Lord. And, and the impression I had from the Lord that I think was drawn from this text was, I made that and I made you. I made that. I made the wind and the waves and the sunsets on the water, and I made you. The same designer, friend, who designed your favorite natural wonder also designed you. And, and the good news is this. Even the, the parts of our life I mean, because you can think, okay, well, the design of the Lord is perfect, but then the world's been corrupted by sin. There's so much brokenness in the world now. There's so much messed up in the world now. And yes, amen to that. There are parts of our own lives that are messed up. We, we've sinned against others. We've been sinned against. Our bodies are marred by sickness and disease and hurt and all of these things. But the Lord still has an intention and plan for us. Listen to that last verse. It says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. 
In other words, the Lord knows all of those things. He knows the way that the world has been broken and we've been broken because of sin. He knows, he knows all of those things, and yet he has an intention and design and plan for us. Even before we were born, he had a, a plan and design for us. Look, the good news, church, the good news is that the same God who made us in Christ is now remaking us. Right? When Jesus died, he did not just die to, to pay for our sins, although, amen, praise the Lord for that. But when he died for us and sent the Spirit to us, the Spirit exists to begin to remake us into the image of Jesus, the perfect man, the perfect human being. So the things that sin has corrupted, the Lord now has us on a trajectory of being remade into the image of his Son. That means that even the broken and messed up and, and rough edges of our life, the Lord is shaping us toward a good purpose. Look, maybe you are here today, and for you, um, there's a level of, of insecurity about your appearance. Maybe you remember specific comments that people have made about your appearance. Somebody in high school said something that you've never forgot. You don't like to let people take pictures of you, right? What, how does this passage, this big truth about God, apply to the de- details of your life? Hear this, brother or sister. The Lord made you. The Lord has purpose and intention for you. The Lord has not made a mistake in you. And the Lord is remaking you, if you are in Christ, He's remaking you into the glorious image of His Son, which the Scripture says will be completed one day. So don't turn away from the Lord. Don't cut the Lord off from the reality of your life. Go to the Lord and find His purpose and design for you. Now, Verse 17 is a break. Verse 17 says this. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Right, this is a break of praise in a sense. It's almost as though David couldn't even move on to the next category without inserting a break for praise. If God knows everything about him, if God is always with him, if God has a purpose and design for him, then how amazing is it that the Lord thinks about us that much? I'm I'm a parent of three kids, right? Like I said, the first one, we spent a lot of time thinking about. The third one, it's almost here, and we have spent less time thinking about him. Not because we don't love him less, but because you're like, eh, he'll live. Like the first kid, you're reading all the parenting books, and your thoughts are like multiplying toward the kid, and you're looking at everything and making sure you have all the equipment. There's all these special baby things you only use for like six months, and you get all the equipment, and then you're listening to them breathe, and they're like, was that, was that, a, was, was that a weird breath? Did he make a weird breath there? Right? And, and you're like, he, he did it again. What is that? What, what, what is that? We're, we're going to take him to the doctor. And we take him to the doctor, and the doctor's like, he's breathing like a human. Like, okay, just checking. Right? That's, your thoughts toward that first child are multiplying. And then the third kid, I asked the other day, do we have a car seat? You know? Or do we need to buy that? And I'm like, oh, I, think, I think I ordered one. You know, it'll arrive. We'll get him home somehow. Uh, we'll put him in a basket and just bicycle him home if we need to. <laughs> Friends, the Lord's thoughts toward us continue 
the thought that he put into making us continues our entire life. His thoughts don't grow lessened like my thoughts are toward my third son. His thoughts are multiplied toward us. He, he thinks about us more, David says, than the number. His thoughts toward us are more than the number of grains on the beach. That is how much the Lord thinks about you. And he must praise the Lord. So, again, what's, what's the takeaway today? What is the cure for practical atheism? The cure for practical atheism is knowing the God who knows us. To close that gap between, okay, the Lord is out there and here are the details of my life. How do you close that gap? You remember that the Lord knows you, that he's with you, that he has a purpose and plan for you. And that begins to bring the reality of who God is into the details of your life. Now, there are two responses then in this psalm in light of these truths in Scripture. Verse 19, at first, I'm going to warn you, this section will seem counterintuitive, but hang in there, okay? Because at first, it seems like a bizarre break. Um, Verse 19, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now during worship, I leaned over to, or before the service started, I leaned over to Tim, the worship leader, and I just said, hey, do you have something kind of along these lines for the end of the service that we could sing? And he said, yeah, probably not. Um, we don't have a lot of songs about slaying the wicked. And, and it does seem out of place, right? It does seem like, Lord, you're wonderful. I hate the wicked. Like, wh- what is going on? Well, over and over in wisdom literature in the Bible, there are two paths that are kind of pictured in wisdom literature. The path of the Lord, if fear in the Lord, where we choose to walk in the way that the Lord has designed us, Right? He's the king of all. He's designed us. He's designed the world. We're going to walk in a way that reflects the Lord and follows the Lord or the path of the wicked. The wicked means that you have turned away from the Lord. You've rejected his design. You say, I don't care what your plan and intention is for me, and I don't care about you, and I'm going to walk this way. Right? Those are the two paths. And so what the psalmist is saying is, I do not want to choose the path away from the Lord, where I ignore the Lord, where I reject the design of the Lord. I want to follow the path of the Lord. But the, the, first, the first sin, the temptation that, the, that Satan the serpent brought to Eve, what did he tempt her with? He tempted her by saying, essentially, God doesn't want you to eat the fruit because he is holding out on you. He doesn't have a good plan for you. In fact, he doesn't know what's best for you. I know what's best for you. You know what's best for you better than the Lord does. Why don't you go do this? Right? That's this path, the path of the wicked. And the psalmist is saying, listen, no, 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 no. I'm not going to listen to the serpent. I'm not going to listen to the snake. I'm not going to believe that you don't know me or understand me. I'm not going to believe that your plan for me is not good. I'm going to reject that pathway and pursue the Lord. Look, sometimes in the course of my health issues these last few years, you have these thoughts like, is it worth it to follow the Lord? Sometimes your experience is 
you, you, you have a moment, you get in faith, you're like, I'm going to follow the Lord, and, and, but the back of your mind, you're kind of thinking, but it's going to get easier, right? And then it gets harder, and then you think, is this really worth it? Is th- this path looks like it's got all kinds of stuff on it, and it's hard. Maybe the other path is the one I should have picked. Look, maybe, maybe you've, I've counseled people that, that they have a, a struggle with feeling loved and validated. And sometimes it leads them into to unhealthy relationships. It leads them into relationships with people that are not good for them, um, but they want to be validated or loved. Or it leads them to go further sexually with somebody than they, than they intended to because I, I need this person to love me and validate me. And if I don't do this, they're not going to love me. Right? It's very easy when we begin to doubt the reality of who God is, when that begins to be disconnected from the details of our life, it's very easy to begin to turn towards sin. Well, he, no, nobody understands me. Maybe this person will. No, nobody knows what's good for me. I, I need to pursue this. I'm only going to listen to myself. And, and the Lord, in, through this passage, is calling us back to his path, to himself. So friend, just ask yourself, are there any places where you've begun to believe God doesn't care about you, he doesn't love you, he's not with you, and therefore you've kind of given yourself over to a sin? You've given yourself over to saying, you know what, I don't care what God's design is, I'm going to live the way I want to live. That's the first response. The second response is in verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now this seems strange at first, because didn't we just hear that God knows everything about us? So why is the psalmist going to the Lord and saying, I want you to search me again? He's asking the Lord to reveal, the Lord already knows, but he's asking the Lord essentially to reveal to him if there are areas in his life where he is not lining up with the character of the Lord, where he has begun to take that path of wickedness. I love this because David doesn't assume that there are no areas in his life that he needs to repent from. He actually says, I'm assuming there are. I'm assuming there are areas in my life that I'm being tempted to go back to this pathway to reject the design of the Lord. And therefore, I need the Lord's help to help me see what he already sees. And this is, this, uh, th- friends, this is exactly what we need to do. If it's true that God knows everything about us and still loves us, <laughs> if it's true that the Lord is with us and will never forsake us, if it's true that he has died for our sins and is remaking us and has a purpose for us, if all those things are true, then there should be no area of life that we are afraid to bring before the Lord or to bring before others and ask for help to change. Maybe you're like me, and you sometimes, you don't even want to start digging around in there because you're afraid of what's in there, you know? It's like when something bad is in the trash, and you're hoping somebody in the family takes the trash out, and everybody can smell the trash, and it smells bad, and so you're waiting for people to walk by, think, and, and it's like, you're going you're gonna to take care of that? Okay, I guess, you know, not... Sometimes areas of our life can be like that, where we know that there's an area that needs attention, and we're like, I don't even want to get into it. But friends, this psalm frees us to say, look, man, (laughs) the Lord already knows the worst about me. The Lord is already on a plan uh, to remake me and renew me and make me like his son. So sure, I'm going to take this trash out because I need to uh, get that out get the grievous ways of me out so that I can be on the path of everlasting life. Look what it says, lead me in the way 
everlasting. Right? He wants to be led onto this path. He doesn't want to detour off to the other path. Therefore, Lord, help me. Search me. Help me see. Now, how do we do this? Well, just a couple quick ideas here. One thing I think we need to do is, in light of this verse, in light of this passage, uh, get before the Lord alone. This is implying that David has a time of prayerful meditation where he's asking the Lord to reveal to him areas that he needs to grow and change in. Friends, we need time in our life for this. We spend so much of our life hearing the messages of the world, hearing the, the, the kind of the whisper of the serpent, in a sense. We need to get back in front of the Lord and open up the word and prayerfully ask the Lord, Lord, help me to see who you are. Help me to see if there's areas of my life that I'm not lining up with you, who you want me to be, who you've made me to be. It also looks like often asking for help from others. That's not in this passage, but throughout scripture, it's very clear that one of the means of grace that God's given us in growth and change is is to come alongside other people and say, hey, can I get some help over here? Can, can you help me? And this can look many different ways. It can look like really being open and honest with your spouse. It can look like talking to a close friend about an area you're struggling with. It can look like joining a, a counseling group at the church for an area you need help with. Uh, maybe today you saw that slide for a class on depression, and you don't even want to admit like you maybe might have a problem with that area, so you don't want to come to the class. Sometimes it looks like putting yourself, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to explore this. And the other way sometimes this stuff gets revealed is just through circumstances. (laughs) Sometimes we pray, Lord, search me, know me, help me to see if there's any bad ways in me. And the Lord helps us to see through circumstances. A hard thing happens in life and we react a certain way and we think, oh, I didn't know that was in my heart. Sometimes that's what the Lord does. But the Lord does all of this, church. He does all of this to lead us in the way everlasting. Now, through this passage, we've gotten glimpses glimpses of who God is like, but we fully and truly see who the Lord is like. We fully see what Psalm 139 is pointing to in the face of Jesus. See, Jesus knows everything about us. When Jesus walked and ministered, he knew everything about everybody. He knew all the worst sins people had committed, and he refused to back away from them. And instead, the Son of God came to earth, fully God and fully man, and lived and walked among people. And Jesus refused to to move away from them. Instead, he walked with sinners as they sought to return to the Lord and walk in the ways of the Lord. And he was so committed to these sinners that he went and died on the cross for their sins so they could repent and live again. And, And Jesus, not only did he go to the cross, he makes a promise that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And he begins a work through the power of the Spirit to remake and reform us. And one day, we will see the full design of the Son of God for our lives. This passage reveals who the Lord is, but we see who the Lord is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons Jesus was sent is so that we could see the perfect picture of what we were made to be in the Lord and what the Lord is remaking us to be again. So friend, if you are here and you don't know Jesus, I just want to encourage you. He's the only person in the universe that knows everything about you, that totally gets you, and still loves you and invites you to himself. Would you stand and let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. 
To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.